This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the channel and welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast, where in this edition, of course, we'll be talking about Tottenham's win against Brighton here at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs 2, Brighton 1, Hunmin Son with a 10-minute screamer. Brighton equalised through Dunk in the 34th minute. Brighton had two goals chalked off. Both went to VAR. Both managers sent off, Stellini and Deserbi. Harry Kane got Tottenham's winner in the 79th minute. Pochettino's name was being sung around the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well as Levy out. Tottenham Hotspur remained fifth in the Premier League, 53 points from 30 matches. We have got eight games to go in this campaign. I've got three very special guests to talk about to get today's game. Back with us, Paralympic gold medalist Richard Whitehead, MBE. Rich, how are you? <laughs> I'm good now that was over. Oh my goodness, the last three games have been so stressful. But no, it's great to be back on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting through that 96 minutes of torture. Only the last three games, Rich. Wow. Um, Rich, before, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before we introduce the other guests, you've got a, uh, a very special um, event coming up very soon. Tell us all about it. Yes, yeah, so um, last year I had a really successful uh, running event in Nottingham, Run With Rich, so running with me um, in Nottingham. And it's for my foundation. Um, so if you're around Nottingham on the 18th of June, uh, Chris was meant to come last year, but he chickened out because he was training for a London marathon, I believe. So this year, Chris, there's a seat there for you. I know you how much you love running after last year. I think you've still got sore legs, haven't you? Yeah, they are. Very. <laughs> but everybody, if you're around Nottingham on the 18th, definitely come down. Yes, please do support Richard and everything he does. Uh, does wonderful charity work. Um, also back with us is Ollie Gamp, of course, sports journalist with the Daily Mail. Ollie, how are you? 
Very, very good. Thank you. Despite Tottenham doing the best to increase my pressure levels throughout the day. Other than that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, all good. lovely to be back here with you, Chris. Well, thank you for coming. Um, we've also got Luke David, the host of Park Lane Podcast. Luke, you're joining us for the very first time. Pleasure to have you here. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, mate. It's a pleasure to be on and, uh, you know, just coming last after these two guests. It's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? But hopefully I can, uh, you know, I can just build that back up for you by the end. <laughs> You've got this, Luke. <laughs> well, Luke, let's, let's start the show with you. Give me, the, the, the final whistle has just gone here at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Give me your thoughts. How on earth did Tottenham get the three points today? I'm absolutely delighted we've got them. But when you look at the chances that Brighton had in that game, two goals chalked off, uh, both went to VAR. How on earth did Spurs win that game today? Your, your guess is as good as mine, to be honest, mate. You know, it, it's, it's, it's laughable that we ended up winning that game. And it was a crucial... As crazy as it sounds, you know, go seasons gone by, you know, talk about Spurs versus Brighton. You wouldn't say that it was a must-win game for us. But, you know, seeing how many games in hand they have over us at the moment, for us to be able to win that today, it was a huge, huge result. But, yeah, how on earth? You know, Brighton fans will be absolutely livid with, with what happened. And, you know, I think that the two goals they had disallowed uh, were rightly disallowed, in my opinion, from what I saw from the replays and, and everything else. They both look like handballs but then you know the 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 penalty decision towards the end was was crazy I've no idea how they how they don't get that but then there's been lots of decisions in the game um you know earlier on in the game I think it was McAllister there was a bit of a stamp uh there's you know Lewis Dunk did everything he possibly could in that game to wind every single Spurs player up you know trampled on uh Romero's foot in in uh start to one of the free kicks it was crazy, crazy game. But look, I can only sit at the positives and say that it's a massive, massive win. And I'm delighted for it because I didn't predict it today at all. Rich, let's come to you. Let's get your thoughts on the game today. Yeah, the um, the first half was a strange half, really. Um, I think we pressed better. We pressed better initially. Um and when I was when I was watching the game, I, ju- I just saw the problems that we've had all season. Retaining the ball really poor. Like we didn't. The amount of times that after the second ball we lost it. Um, I think Hoyerberg and Skippy needed more support in that central midfield. We got we got bossed in midfield by uh, Brighton. They clearly have uh, a lot more energy, a lot more desire about getting that ball back and using the ball correctly. Obviously, the crowd was getting on the, the players back when we were playing the, back, the ball backwards. But I felt the, the first half, we gave them too much of the ball um, after, after a short period of time of, of, of we actually were pressing the ball. Um, and I think that was after Sonny scored. So after the 10th minute, we seemed to really kind of sit back like we have done. And they had far too many shots in that first half. Uh, Hugo made a couple of great saves and um, yeah, kept us in the game. But we were poor. Like, There's no way we should have won that game today. Brighton fans that are watching this or, or watch the game today or match the day later, they'll wonder how they didn't get three points, never mind a point. It was, um... And also what I found is, I found is there was players that, that were pressing individually 
But as a team, we never did anything consistently. So we never consistently did anything. So the messages weren't getting out there. I thought Perisic, apart from a couple of crosses, looked very leggy today. Um, I didn't enjoy it at all. The last three or four games, or the last like 20, last three or four games, I've not enjoyed at all. Um, and today's game, like Luke, I didn't predict a win at all. I thought if we'd have come away with a, a, a draw today and something to build off, would have done well, but um, yeah, a lucky win, lucky win, and it was great to see all the other fans in the stadium singing for Pochettino for sure. Because you know what my thoughts are there, Chris. Well, we've had it uh, at recent away games, and interestingly, a lot of people said it'd be interesting to see if it happens at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It did today a couple of times. Um, yeah, Ollie, let's, sure. Ollie, let's get your thoughts on the game before we talk about Pochettino. Yeah, my thoughts are I know I come across as a kind of a moody, but it's, my thoughts are that it's a win, it feels like a defeat. Um, we, yeah, I think we, we massively got away with one. Um, when you look at the fact that we had two disallowed goals, um, Brighton probably had two disallowed goals, and then they get a stonewall penalty, in my opinion, and turn down. Um, yeah, it kind of there's a kind of sour feeling. Obviously, I'm glad we got the win. It was important, I think. So, um, which makes the point that Brighton have the games in hand, and they're not actually far away from us. Um, so it was a really important win, um, but it's just kind of a mess. You've got both managers getting sent off. Um, you know, we always it feels like we always give teams a chance. We go one and up. We're being goal from Sunny. Um, goal from Dunk is abysmal defending. I'm sorry, guys, but you know it's yeah. complete. Just absolutely nobody's on it. It was like just ghosting. No one was even watching him. Um, we just don't have any discipline. I mean, all that all that um, criticism from Conte, he shouldn't have said it, but he was absolutely bang on. He should have told the players that. I'm sure he did, but he should have told the media that. Um, but everything he said was right. They have no heart. They have no fight. They have no spirit. They got no organisation. They don't listen to, to instructions. Um, but yeah, so we we go back in front. Um, Great goal, Kane always, always seems like he's bailing us out. Um, but then, yeah, I think I think they should get the penalty at the end, and I think we should be we should have the same feeling, which is disappointment because we've we've struggled throughout the game. Um, but you know, Brighton are a very good team, so we, should, we it wasn't you know we weren't thinking we were going to trounce them because they're very very good. Um, but we just we just always seem to make it hard for ourselves, and you know, Conte goes, but it's the same kind of feeling of you know, just labouring through games, just making it tough, sitting back. Um, it's pretty disappointing, which is great because we just won a game. Um, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to just, you know, doesn't matter how we do it, we just get the win. Um, but I kind of worry for us, Chris, because if you look at our fixtures, we got um, Bournemouth next, you know, we should smash them. Newcastle away, absolutely massive. I mean, that's kind of like a top-four playoff game. That's been massive. And then United and Liverpool. So... That that run will define whether we get top four. Um, I'm I'm a bit concerned, to be honest. Ollie, in fairness, though, today was a massive game. Um, no, no matter how we've won it, we've won it. We've got the three points today. It's a massive game, um, massive three points today. Um, as a Spurs fan, how have you felt in the last couple of weeks, particularly with Antonio Conte going, Stellini staying, which seems a very odd choice because I've said in the past few weeks that. With Conte going, wouldn't it have been better bringing in a manager um, where 
perhaps is like a, a former player or a former manager, someone who we can all relate to as fans, someone we can all get behind because it doesn't seem that different under Christian Stellini. And of course, you know, we're going for a Champions League spot. As many, I know a lot of people will be shouting saying we've got no chance of Champions League. But if you grind results out like you did today, we do have a chance. But what have you, what have you made of the managerial decision to keep on Stellini? Um, not happy with it, to be honest. Um, I was shocked to hear this that you were staying. I think if you're going to kill the snake, you need to cut off the head of the snake. And we still have the rest of the body of the snake, if I'm going to continue making this weird snake analogy. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, whenever you've seen a manager be sacked and the rest of his team stay, it's just, you, you, go, you go out you go out with the captain. The captain vacates the ship, you go out with him. Um, so it's bizarre. And I, the only thing I can think of is that it's to do with money. Because um, I know if we if we be sacked Conte and everybody, um, I think he gets um, four million. Whereas if he if his team stays until the summer, then they just go out and roll out into the sunset. And um, so I think it was probably not wanting to pay a, a hell of a lot of compensation to Conte and his staff, and then having to pay for a new manager to come in now. And I think it comes it becomes a bit pricey. I would have just I would have rather had Mason. And I know people say, well, Mason doesn't know what he's doing, but I think it would have just given us a lift. He would have played attacking football. We're still saying we're still seeing the same three at the back, the same sit back tactics. It's almost like Conte's still in charge, and he's just phoning up Stellini before the game, saying, "Right, do this." Like he he very well could be um, their best mates, and you know that was his number two. So it just feels like nothing's changed, and the same toxicity is there. Like you see Stellini having a pop as the Zerbi before kickoff, and then they get they both get sent off. There's this still this ill feeling like we shouldn't have. Pochettino chance in the stands like if you want Pochettino go get him but there's still this unresolved uh, feeling I think if we wanted Pochettino we should have gone to get him um, there's lots of unresolved things and it's very very Tottenham but yeah I, th- I agree I, I would have made I would have made Mason uh, the main manager I think he knows enough about the club he did well enough last time he got the job would he have got top four I don't know but I think we all would have just liked to have seen the team return to that freedom and that attacking style that we love to see. Um, so I would have either got Poch back or, you know, if that was impossible financially, I would have just given it to Mason. But Stellini, I don't think anyone really has a real connection with Stellini, especially now Conte's gone. I've got to say, even walking to the stadium today, going into the stadium and the first 10, 20, even 30 minutes, very, very quiet. The, the atmosphere was pretty dead. Um, Luke, let's come to you because... As I said at the start, twice the, the Spurs fans sung today Maurizio Pochettino's name. Are you surprised that they're singing Pochettino's name? Do you want him back if you had the choice? So I'm not, I'm kind of surprised that a lot of the fans are singing his name. I thought the, the best part of this was when Stellini had been sent off and they were, you know, what we saw on the TV or I saw on the TV was they were arguing down the tunnel. And as he walks down the tunnel, that's when the Spurs fans started singing Pochettino's name. And, yeah. you know, kind of going back onto what Oli said about Stellini is, is that I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that the sacking or the mutual consent, you know, mutual agreement of the termination of his contract, however you want to call it, was all agreed through the board and that effectively he is still in charge, but just through another, you know, another human being as such. I, you know, I think that if Stellini wanted to become his own manager and wanted to step up and step away from Antonio Conte and become a first team coach manager, you know, whichever way you want to call it, he would do things differently. 
and he would step up and say, this is my time. Because in reality, he would have a shot at becoming the Spurs boss if he did a good job. I have no doubt about it. Um, I don't think he's good enough, but I believe that he could do if he decided to you know, be his own man and be his own person. But, you know, I remember... I will go on to Pochettino, sorry, but I remember when, when we scored. And as we scored, I saw... And we set up um, again. I saw Hoiberg point at, at everybody across the midfield, at the midfield, Dan Juma's son, and basically say to them, sit back. Like, we'll, we'll sit this... We'll kind of see out the game from here. And I just thought that was such a strange mentality and such a strange thing to just say, okay, we're winning now. Let's just all sit back in, in a bank of five and four and then try and see out the game. In terms of Pochettino, to be honest with you, Chris, I've said since on my channel since probably November time that I always saw Antonio Conte leaving in the summer and I always saw that it was Spurs' plan to come back and bring back Mauricio Pochettino. Now, Oli might be right, you know, in the sense of if they were going to do it, why didn't they do it when they got rid of Conte? But it's probably to do with the financial aspect in terms of getting rid of his entire team. Um, will he come back? I'm still not 100% sure, but I want to stick with my guns and I want to stick with what I thought a long time ago. And so I think I think we'll see Mauricio Pochettino back at Spurs. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever, Luke, that Pochettino would come back if he was asked. But I think that that is the... The problem at the moment, the club are not asking the question. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it just relates to, first of all, the ability for them to maybe be able to bring him in now. Would he want to work with Antonio Conte's back, backroom staff? We know how many people he brought with him when he came to Spurs. So I think that maybe that's one of the reasons. The other reason could be potentially because Daniel Levy doesn't want to admit his failures from you know those years ago when he, when he did sack him. You know, all of the good work that Pochettino did up until the point in which there was a small and slight demise from that, Daniel Levy acted very quickly and saw that Jose Mourinho was available and said, do you know what, I'm going to make this call and I'm going to bring in Jose Mourinho. Um, and I believe he brought him in because he didn't want Arsenal to bring him in because he came in before Arteta went to, to Arsenal, if I remember rightly. And um, that's what I that's why I believe they brought him in because they were both on the lookout for a top quality manager. Um, now, with this you know new appointment that we've seen come in the last couple of days at Spurs, would that mean that they could bring Pochettino back? And it could be um, this. I think it's Scott Munn, isn't it? I think uh, if it could then be his decision, and it wouldn't be. Daniel Levy's decision, which would mean that actually he would save face in terms of having to admit his failures. That's maybe a, a way that it might go. We'll come on to talk about uh, Scott Munn later on in the podcast. Um, Rich, I know you're a big Maurizio Pochettino fan. Um, what would you say to the Spurs fans that are not so keen about a return to Pochettino at Tottenham? Yeah, and I'm looking down the comments as well, and there is a lot of a lot of fans that are saying obviously Pochettino never won anything with Spurs, and what has he won since? And what did Pochettino do for the club? How did he take like the style of football he wanted, <clears throat> the bringing the players through? What did he do? He took us to a Champions League final. The finishes that we had, second, third, fourth in the league, the the buzz around the club. The buzz around the club is completely different. And then the biggest mistake the club has made in the last 20 years is not backing Pochettino when you're in that position. When you're in that position and then having 
the 18 months when we didn't sign a player has been the biggest mistake the club has made. And that's and you can look you can look at the, the position we're at that time. We we'd obviously come back from the Champions League final with that disappointment. At that stage it was if you're gonna keep Pochettino, because he could have gone, he could have gone, um, and some of the other players could as well, but the club kept this manager but didn't back him. He is a manager that loves the club, loves the flat fans, loves to be part of a team like Spurs. He's been to other teams since. It's not gone gone too well at PSG. I think because his heart is still within the club. Fans, we need to get behind somebody that wants to be here, that's got a clear plan. And uh, the next manager, if that is Pochettino, needs to come in and it needs to revolutionise this team. I've said over the last 12, 18 months through... Um, Mourinho and all that crap where that was just a stopgap. He was not interested in managing Spurs at all. He's just interested in the bravado of, of being uh, a manager of a top team. Uh, and, and for me, uh, Pochettino coming back would be a great fit. My little girl wants to say hello. Say hello, Zara. <laughs> um, she's saying, why is daddy speaking in a loud voice? It's because it's about Spurs, that's why. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Pochettino, for me, wasn't back to that point, and that's a massive mistake. I think bringing him back, yes, it is a gamble, going back to the club for the second time, but I think it was, the connection is the real big thing. And um, you're definitely right, Chris, around these last like eight games, eight to nine games, the club should have got somebody in fresh because the team at the moment, we need to get rid of 10 or 11 players because they're not top 40 uh, players at all. Andrew's coming now. <laughs> Daddy daycare day. <laughs> the thing is, Rich, do, do you think that the board will listen to the fans? Because when you've got your home fans, pretty much the whole stadium singing Pochettino's name, that means Hopefully. the majority of the fan base want him to return. Do you think they're going to sure. listen? Well, hopefully. Hopefully, but has, has a Levy historically? No, he's done what Levy wants to do. Um, Levy is, is somebody that... Um, kind of has his own kind of real vision around what the club uh, looks like. And and that's mostly around making as much money as possible. Um, trophies, is that a real is that a real kind of driving force for him? Clearly not, because in the last 20, 20 years, what have we won? And uh, somebody that is a, is a professional athlete, and it's all about those 1%, it's all about getting on that podium and making sure it's top of the podium. That's what yeah. really frustrates me is that, You've got a businessman there that's all about making money. Well, how about make make a team that enables us to put get in those positions like we have done, but then take advantage of them, get in those finals, win them. Stop messing around with all, some of the, the bullshit decisions you made in the past. Come on. Ollie, let's come to you. Let's talk about the, the starting 11. Of course, an hour before kickoff, uh, the team lineup come out. It was exactly the same um, as the team that Drew 1-1 Everton on Monday evening. Lloris in goal, the back three of Romero, Dyer and Langley. The wing-backs, Perisic and Poro. In midfield, Hoybier and Skip. The front three of Kulisewski, Kane and Son. Subs today, Forster, Austin, Tanganga, Sanchez, Saar, uh, Devine, Mundell, Danjuma and Richarlison. When you saw that team line-up, Kamai, Ollie, were you surprised that there were no changes, no changes to the system yet again? Um, I wasn't surprised because the team seems to sort of pick itself at the moment. Only the only difference is do you play 
Richardson or do you play Kulisevsky? And there's no chance of playing Dan Juma because that man has done something to somebody at the club. He just never gets a game. Um, so I think yeah, the the only thing is who do you play up front? And despite Kulisevsky not playing very well at all recently, um, he gets the nod. I don't think he played very well today at all, Kulisevsky. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I maybe would have switched it up. I, mean, I, I, I would just give Dan Juma a go because I'm a big fan of Dan Juma. So I don't really know what he's done. I mean, is it that he's not training well? I know Rich agrees. Um, is it that he's not training well? Is it somebody's pissed somebody off? I don't know. But um, he didn't, you know, Conte didn't like him. So he clearly doesn't like him. Just what what a waste of a loan. I mean, he's a good player. Uh, I've interviewed Dan Juma before and you know, he was a really exciting talent and he's just been wasted. So it's a real shame. Um, but no, I, I don't think I would have changed um, the team much. You know, the, the only other things is you know, do you play Saar instead of Skip? And, you know, Skippy's doing a decent job at the moment. Um, no, I think, you know, owing to injuries, you know, Basuma without uh, Ben Sankor, um, the team in that 3 4 3 kind of just picks itself. So unless, unless you change the formation, the team kind of picks itself. Um, but no, it's, it's just kind of crazy. We've spent, was it 150 million this season? And you still kind of look at that team and you just think, wow, there's so much we need to do. We need that creative midfield uh, presence. You know, you look at the bench and you see Alfie Devine, you see Mundell, I don't even know who that is. Um, and you see Tanganga and Sanchez and you just think, wow, this team really needs to upgrade them because it's just, we're just, you know, holes all over the, the team that we need to fill. So hopefully, um, fingers crossed, we'll get that sorted this summer. Romain Mundell, very good attacking player. I watch him a lot in the under-21s. Um, Is he? I'm, good, I'm sure he's good, good on the bench, but, you know, he's, we, we, we need people we can call upon and people who can make a difference. I'm sure he'll be a great player one day. Ollie, when you talk about formations, eight Premier League games to go. Of course, we are chasing uh, a Champions League spot or a Europa League spot, which is more realistic. Um, do you see that Stellini could and will change the formation in these remaining eight games? No, <laughs> I think uh, Leopard doesn't change their spots and Stellini uh, slash Conte do not like to not play through the back. I, I'm desperate to see us play four at the back, Chris. I mean, I just want to change. I just want to see. I feel like I'm living in Groundhog Day. I feel like I wake up and it's like beep, beep, 6 a.m. Here we go. Spurs playing again. It's the same team. It's the same formation. It's the same. Same. We're struggling through games. We nick a win or we lose one nil or we draw nil nil and everybody gets annoyed it's just the same thing um but no i, I don't i don't foresee him changing formation i mean ha, has he played has he or, or conte played for the back all season i don't think he has it's not going to change they think their way works they think it's their way or the highway they are so the whole team in terms of the backroom staff is so unadaptable and unwilling to change so um yeah it's just, um, it's just the, the, the reason. I, the reason I ask that question, Ollie, is because, of course, you've got Ryan Mason there. You said earlier you'd like to have seen Ryan Mason take charge until the end of the season. Of course, he's done it before a couple of years ago when Jose Mourinho was sacked. Um, yeah. How much say do you think that Ryan Mason's got? Because, of course, he finished in the dugout uh, in the technical area at the end of the game. I don't think he's got much say. I'll be honest. We all saw that video of um, him on the touchline where he was like. Like shrugging his shoulders, like looking at Kane, saying like, "What's going on?" Like, I think he's basically he's basically the kind of man manager to put his arm around the players and have a little chat with them, get them up for the game. Um, he's like he's the link between the the team and the man and the staff. I don't think he's got much to say. I, th I think he's I think he's you know barking orders on behalf of Stellini, but I think it's it's Stellini. What Stellini says goes. 
Um, because if, if Mason was in charge, I know we all saw when he took charge after Mourinho. Um, we you know we played two up front sometimes. We played four two three one. Uh, we we attack teams because that's the Tottenham way. Mason knows the Tottenham way, and that's what I said. Give it Mason um, because. He might not be tactically astute as Delaney and Conte, but he is a Tottenham boy. He knows what the fans want. He knows how the, he knows the players very, very well. He played in the team. He's done his coaching badges. Um, so I just thought it was just worth giving him a go. Um, and, you know, if Stellini gets the top four by playing this terrible style of um, three at the back every week, then great. And we can shake his hand and say thanks very much and goodbye. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think we're going to finish in the top four. Uh, I don't think we're good enough. I think Newcastle have been ins- insane this season. And I think if they finish in the top four, we'd say, well done, well played, because they've, they've been great. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, Newcastle, of course, won again today. Um, Luke, let's come to you. Let's talk about the uh, the starting eleven. Um, Hugo Lloris, of course, has played two games this week. Um, he was out injured for a number of weeks. Fraser Forster, of course, uh, played in goal. Um, replacing him, but he's played a couple of games this week. What did you make of his performance today and, of course, at Everton on Monday evening? Is it the right decision to bring him back? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, Fraser Forster did well, you know, in his time in goal. But I think, you know, as a management team, if you decide to continue with Fraser Forster and he pl- performs like he performed in the first game, I think it was against Leicester, where he was slow, very labored to get down to save the ball you know he did he did his performances kind of grew and grew and grew into that phrase of force that we know but I think as a management team if you decide to not put in your world cup winning goalkeeper and we lose then the blame is going to be on them so I think that they had to and had no other choice but to put um Hugo Lloris in goal I still don't understand why we decide to always play the ball back to Hugo Lloris to his feet because he's atrocious with the ball at his feet. And, you know, why we then still decide to split the centre-backs to get him to pass the ball out. It, it's it's all a bit strange, um, you know, with that aspect of it. But, I, yeah, in terms of Lloris starting in goal, I don't think you could look elsewhere. Look, let's stay with you. Um, let's talk about the game incidents. Um, after six minutes, um, it was cleared off the line. Matoma had a shot. It was cleared off the line. Um, we got a let off there. Ten minutes um, gone. Of course, Hunmin Son put us 1-0 up. An assist by Perisic. But I'll tell you what, I was so pleased to see Hunmin Son's strike go in because that was like the son of old, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Especially as well, you know, I think that was his 100th goal in the Premier League. Um, and I'm going to get these stats wrong here, but I think he's the first Asian player to score 100 Premier League goals as well. Um, so, you know, massive to him as well. And, and what a finish as well. That was the kind of finish that you expect from previous seasons from a fit firing human son, you know, um, to be able to get the ball, shift it, and then bend it into the far corner. I thought it was a sensational finish. And, uh, you know, the the poor performance after that should never take away from that goal and that moment for human son because you know everything that he has done those hundred goals that he has scored um i think that he's been a, an amazing player from us i still think he can be under the right management team Look, why do you think that unmin son has struggled this season when we know that he can produce goods like that i think it's the 
the tactics, the man management. I, I really don't like uh, Conte, Stellini, you know, and the, the rest of the staff, to be quite honest. I think that, you know, a lot of fans praised them last season from, you know, getting us top four. Like, you know, that's that's great, you know, well done. But if we look at Pochettino, he got us top four five seasons in a row. You know, so I don't think that that, that angle from an elite manager that Antonio Conte claims to be and people claim him to be, I think that he, he'd been stifled a little bit um, in terms of how he can perform. I also think there's a little bit of confidence lapse as well. You know, I think that how do you go from getting golden boot winning season the season before and then come into it this season? But if we look at Jimin Son from seasons gone by, he was never the person that scored 25, 20, you know, 28 goals a season. He was always a guy that came in, didn't score for two or three games and then scored again. So he would always, you know, kind of hit those 15 Premier League goals a season. So I think it's just a multitude of those those parts. I think a happy human son playing in a happy, cohesive team plays a lot better than, than what we're seeing at the moment. Can I comment on that, Chris? I think there's three reasons, you know, re- three reasons why Sonny isn't the player that he was last season. First, um, teams are playing him differently. So um, they're pressing him a lot earlier, so they're not letting him able to turn on the ball. Um, the second one is style of play is not enabling this, this, this fast break that we've had. Um, and the third one, and the most important one, which I've said for probably about the last six months, is that when Sonny had that eye socket injury, which obviously is a, is a, a head stroke brain injury, uh, he has not recovered from that. He clearly hasn't recovered. You can, when the ball's at his feet, he moves. You look at how he moved last season, how he was shifting the ball, completely different than this season. There's times, even today, there's times today where, um, yes, we know Sonny has in the past held on the ball too too long, but he's got his feet kind of, he's not known where his feet are in comparison with the ball. His head's been down at the ball, not up. Where, where Son is so much better when he's running with the ball, when his head's up, shifting that ball from left to right. So for me, the, one of the main reasons is that I don't know whether it's mismanagement of his injury from when he had that eye socket injury, or he's just not had time to recover and then move back into the team. Rich, after 16 minutes, uh, there was good link-up play between Hunmin Son, Kulisevsky and Harry Kane. Um, it eventually finished with Harry Kane firing over the bar, but it was a good... Uh, piece of football from Spurs that we haven't seen too much of this season. Um, what did you make of Kulisewski today? Well, I, I'm going obviously in the commentary as well um, when he came off that they were saying that he's had quite a good game. I, I just again, it's just like, I think I expect a little bit more uh, from him. Um, bursting down that wing uh, is great, but we want him to cut inside. We want him to. He's he, he's not the player at the moment that he was previously, where he'd cut into, inside and, and get that shot off. He just really hasn't done that. He's, um, I, th- I think when you're uh, lacking in confidence, you're holding on to the ball or decision-making's, uh, the, the, you're making the wrong decision. Where I think Kuliseski before was making those chances for himself and the rest of his team. I think it was an average performance. It wasn't a great, it wasn't outstanding. When he did come off and Dan Juma came on, I thought that was that was great and in the comments, somebody said that obviously that was when Mason was in charge. And again, that might be uh, something for the future, him having a little bit more uh, of an impact on on those substitutions. But 
like obviously Ollie and Luke, I think it's just going to be same or same. But from this 16th minute, I think that's when it was going downhill and we just sat back. We sat further and further, further back, trying to hold hold on to the lead, which obviously wasn't going to going to happen. I think it's fair to say, though, Rich, that Unmin Son and Kulisewski have struggled this season. Um, you bring sure. a player like Dan Juma in, he got 12, 13 minutes today. Why is someone like Dan Juma not getting a start, in particular when Stellini said in the press conference a couple of days ago that he deserved game time? Well, yeah, why for sure. yeah, for sure. And um, as, a, as a Spurs fan, you worry that the players that are in the that are training that are not in the first eleven just aren't good enough because they're not getting any game time at all. And obviously, when we think about some of the players that we've got on the bench, like Sanchez, etc., there's a reason why. There's a reason why that because they're just not they aren't good enough. For, but Dan Juma, you look at his uh, show reels that he's doing for training. He looks like he's putting in the work in the gym. Um, a player like him needs to have game time needs to have that confidence uh, within that 90 minutes to show the fans what is actually what what we obviously got him in for. Obviously we've only seen that in the cup against Fulham and that's it. I think he deserves a deserves a start. Um Richarlison had got all these kind of opportunities to play, uh, not really taking advantage of those. Showed a little bit of prowess but not really taking advantage and obviously as a striker in that those positions you judged on goals. And he's not produced in the league at the moment. So Dan Juma, especially while uh, Charleston was injured, I was expecting him to get at least one start. Yeah. Especially, especially. So you've had we've had two really poor draws, and then today we've got the same team as the last two games. It's ridiculous. I just don't want. I, what is that? I'd love to know the logic behind that. If they're saying, "Oh, these are our best eleven, and nobody's anywhere near them," I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Ollie, can I ask you the same question about Dan Juma? Because, of course, he came in in the January transfer window and we haven't even spoke about Richarlison as well. Hasn't got a Premier League goal for us so far this season as yet since joining from Everton in the summer. Um, and Son and Kulisewski have really struggled. Harry Kane keeps delivering the goods, as, as of course he did again today. But Dan Juma, why is he not getting any game time, in your opinion? Um, I think it's a, a mix of things. I think... On paper, if you have Kudasevsky, Kane and Son, you are thinking they, they are three very, very good forwards who could rel- could realistically produce a bit of magic as long as they're on the pitch. And even if they're having a bad moment, we've seen Son pull out something out of the bag like he did today, an incredible goal. And Kane is obviously undroppable. Um, and then it comes down to Kudasevsky, Richarlison and Dan Juma. And I think the hierarchy is Kulisevsky, then Richarlison, then Dan Duma. Um, that doesn't explain why he's hardly had any minutes off the bench. I mean, he's just not had time to get going. We, we've seen, you know, he put one against Preston in his first game and he scores, so he can clearly do something. Uh, and I've been watching him for a long time and he is a goal scorer. He, he's a game changer and he's got a bit of a personality about him. Um, he told me he, when I interviewed him, I think it was a couple of years ago, he told me he modelled his game on Ronaldo. Um, he's a really, really good player. Um, the only thing I can think of is that he's not impressed in training. I think we all say free Dan Juma, free Dan Juma, but you know they watch him in training. If he was good, if he was, you have to say. I, mean, I believe he should have a chance, but they are 
our coaches want us to win games. And if they felt that he could influence that, they would play him. I do think that as well. Um, so that, you know, it might be a case of attitude, something going on behind the, behind the scenes, not pressing and training. Um, I do think he needs more minutes, you know, if you're going to sign someone alone, give him a, give him a chance. And because, you know, he's had, he's had, bit, you know, he's had bits and pieces to, to work with. I mean, if, you know, hardly anything today. I think before today it was, I don't know how many, a few games. He's just not, he's not had that run of games and the, the minutes to show what he can really do. And I think it's a real shame. Um, because I think he'll he'll be like another Carlos Vinicius who just sort of quietly leaves out the back door, um, and it's, it's it's a shame. I think you know, the, you know, we we are still fighting for top four, so it's really important that we have the best front three possible. But you know, regardless of that, we're not our front three aren't mobilised. They're not given the the chances to score. They're not given the creative setup to to attack teams. So I think either way, if, even if he starts, we're not. We're not going to give him the best um, setup possible to to show what he's got. So, I think you're better off on the bench on out because um, you know no one's apart from Kane. I, I think, by the way, the fact that Harry Kane is doing the business, you know, he's got double. Uh, he's on what, on twenty more, whatever he's on. I mean, it's incredible that he's that he's managed that despite how negative we've been and how much we've sat back. Um, and you know, Sonny. You were talking, Rich, about um, his eye injury. I, I agree. I think I think he hasn't come back from that. Uh, I think he's pretty been affected. Sonny is quite an emotional guy, I think. Um, and he needs an arm around the shoulder. And he really had that with Hotch. Um, and I think he maybe even had that with Mourinho. But Conte is like a really cold guy. And I think he kind of just fed off. I mean, Conte has been going through the... the the, the range of emotions with all the obviously all the deaths of his coaches and his friends um and i think you know i think sonny just needs that lift i think he needs the the man management and yeah i think i think it's a mix of confidence and a mix of the injury and it's just not it, sometimes it just it just happens i mean he, he's got i think seven goals and four assists i mean that's not terrible it's not i think we we're all comparing him to last season um, I think I think he could still end. You know, you know, if he can, if he takes the momentum of today. He could finish the season with, with a good amount of goals. Um, but yeah, with with Dan Juma, I think it's just it's just not worked out, and it's a shame because I really would have liked to see him. I think he could have been a real fan favourite if he if he had a run of games. Well, for anyone who follows Dan Juma on Instagram, um, you'll probably know that he does a lot of extra training sessions at Hotspur Way. Uh, and posts it quite a lot of the time as well. And even after today's game, Hunmin Son looked very disappointed, like Spurs had lost the game today. Um, Luke, let's come to you. In the 22nd minute, Matoma, uh, we thought, equalised for Brighton. It went to VAR, it was disallowed. Um, that was a clear and obvious one, was it, Campbell? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I think it was. But I think the, the bit that I want to kind of get on with that was the Christian Romero slight push on Mitoma is the part in which means that his body is moving forward and he ends up... Ham I don't believe if he didn't get that push from Romero, he wouldn't have ended up... His arm wouldn't have ended up touching the ball. So I think that was very clever. And also after that, I watched Romero absolutely berate um, Eric Dyer uh, and uh, some other players for just the uh, inability to clear the ball because I think it was... Um, Eric Dyer's clearance that led to, or poor clearance that led to the ball that came through to Matoma. So it was nice to see that and kind of jumping really quickly. Sorry, Chris, back on to um, Dan Juma. Um, yeah. The one part I really liked from him today was, first of all, his run. 
which took away two Brighton defenders, which allowed the space for Hoiberg uh, uh, to play the ball to Harry Kane, um, I thought was really, really good. And also, it's the second time I've seen him do this for Spurs. Uh, the first one was against Preston, and then the second one was again today, was watching him dictate other players how and where to be on the pitch. And I think it's really, really clever from him. And I think it's something that how the coaches aren't seeing that, you know, about him, his ability to be able to say, you should be here, I should be there, you know, and kind of orchestrate where players should be. And, and that's the kind of player we need. So I agree with Ollie. I think that he should get a lot more game time. Luke, we had a, quite a dodgy uh, couple of minutes um, after that incident because in the 26th minute, McAllister shot, Larice with a great save round the post to his right-hand side. Uh, in the same minute, they hit the post uh, from a shot from Casado. Um, how are you feeling at that point? I'm just, I'm just feeling as as numb to it as I always am now. To be honest, Chris, you know it's it's one of those things where I'm just used to it now. It, our inability to transition from defensive positions into attacking positions is woeful. You know, I think at that moment it was Hoiberg that had the ball taken off him for the Caicedo shot, and then he was lying on the floor asking for a free kick. And it's just teams have realised they can press us in our midfield defensive kind of transitional phase and they can win a lot more balls uh, through it. That's where we really, really need to work on. And again, I would expect Conte, his team and his backroom staff to be able to nail on from a coach who likes to sit defensively and then transition out. For us to be so poor on the ball from a defensive midfield position, I think it is laughable at times. But again, that's just how we've been for weeks and weeks. So I'm kind of numb to it at the moment. Bridge, let's come to you. In the 34th minute, Brighton got the equaliser, making it 1-1. Goal from the corner, Lewis Dunk header, completely unmarked. I I tweeted at the time, that is like Sunday league defending. Couldn't believe what I was doing. Worse, worse, mate. Worse. Primary school, primary school defending. Terrible. And then, after that, Skippy's marking Dunk, their best header of the ball. Terrible. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. I, I, I saw that. We even have a set-piece coach. How on, earth, how on earth in Premier League football can you leave a player like that unmarked completely? And, and how dangerous it is in, in the box as well. How dangerous. And you just saw that they had, they had three things they were either going to do from that corner. They had two people by the corner flag. It was they were going to obviously swing the ball in to the back post, which they did most of the time, or they were going to play it out between them or they were going to push the ball out to the edge of the box and play um, square for somebody to take a shot. That was their three plays. And the team did not react to that at all. Like after the, even, even before the goal. And then after the goal, I'm thinking, right, now somebody's obviously going to really mark Dunk out of the game in the box, make sure they're really tight. Oh, my goodness. He had a couple of opportunities after he scored. And I just thought it was, it was school, uh, it was playground uh, defending. I don't think uh, Hugo's not dominant enough in his box. He's not able to kind of really kind of get the players into the positions they need to be. And then and then defensively in our box, I always worry. And I think the reason why that we're not um, killing off teams is because like Hoiberg's wanting us to play deeper and deeper because they don't trust the defenders at all. Like Dyer's obviously. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chief form's gone off the cliff. Uh, Ramiro's obviously got one of those tackles in him that's going to get him sent off every game. And Longley, I, I, I'm not just not sure what he does for the team in the, at the back, to be honest. Um, so, so defensively, from that point, from when they scored, I was... Re- so obviously, they'd had a goal disallowed. Uh, they look really dangerous. I think they had like 13 or 14 shots in the first half. Just really, really poor. And then obviously the second half, I think I think it was actually good for us that the managers got both sent off. I think that that was one of the um, one of the things that actually did change the game because some of the players actually thought, right, oh, yeah, there's a bit of passion going off in the uh, on the bench. We need to actually do it on the pitch now because before that there's none. Ollie, let's come to you. In my opinion, and I've felt this for a number of years, I don't feel like Eric Dyer is good enough uh, to take Tottenham to the next level. Now, many reports are coming out stating that Clement Langley, um, you know, a permanent deal could be done for him at the club for around £14 million. Is he good enough for Spurs for you? Um, from what I've seen of him, he kind of does a job. Um, I, I don't think I've seen him make many howlers in the same way that Dyer has. Um, I think we could probably do better. Um, but if it's just a case of you know getting a deal done and having some bodies just to fill in, I don't think he should start for us. Um, I think he's he's decent cover option, but um 14 million sounds like quite a lot considering he's not you know he's not uh, set the world on fire at Spurs. So um I would like um I, I would like him if we could do him on a free. Um but 14 million sounds like a lot. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I think Dyer. Dyer has been diabolical, and I think it's time for him to go. The problem is he Dyer seems very, very content uh, to be at Spurs, and you know the, the fact that he went from defence, he went from centre back in this time, time at Spurs, centre back to right back, right back to centre mid, centre mid back to back to centre back. It's like he doesn't know what he is, and I actually think he's better off in midfield. I think I mean, during the Poch days when we had Dyer and Wanyama, Dyer Dembele. He was a boss. Like it was, he he really was um, exciting. You know, winning tackles and being aggressive. And he played there for England. And I never really understood the 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 change back to centre back because I, I just don't. I never really saw that for him. Um, but for, mm. for a player to change for a, for a player to change uh, position at his age is quite weird. Like you hear you hear stories about players changing positions as kids, but you need to kind of know what you are. And I do think Dyer's got this kind of identity crisis. He's not. He's just not. He's not a good defender. Um, he has good qualities. I mean, Mourinho wants to sign him for Man United as a centre mid, um, and, and he did decently there for us. Um, so I, I just don't really understand because he's not really—he's not just not a good defender. Um, I think time could be up for him, which is a shame because there was there was a time on Conte where he was really looking like strong and like he had put those those terrible mistakes behind him. And he was called, we were all saying, like, why has he not been called up for England? And then he suddenly has a chocker every week and he never really put that behind him towards the end of last season. And then this season, he's just been, he's just been terrible. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think we can do better. And I think we need to get rid of Davis and Sanchez. I don't think he's good enough. I think all of you guys will agree with me. Um, uh, expression, expressions calls him the Colombian PS4. He just switches off. Like like my old PS4, <laughs> I think that's so true. Like he he does, he he just switches off. Did you, did you see? It was a, I can't remember what game it was, but he just like stopped, and let the player go past him. He just he he fell over, didn't he? He had a little slip because yeah, the the, the defence is just it's just not good enough. And you know, I, I want to see um I want to see Bastoni, I want to see Scriniar, I want to see like a proper. I really like Romero. I think he's and I think he's great, but he can't do it on his own. Like Toby, you know, Toby and Jan, they were two amazing defenders who really complemented each other. We had Ledley and and, uh, and Dawson. Def- a defender is only as good as his partner, in my opinion. Like every every amazing Premier League defense that you had, you got you know D- Diaz and uh, Laporte when Laporte was playing. He's not playing at the moment, but you need to have a player alongside you who knows what he's doing. And Romero has just got a load of clowns with him. Um, so if we if we can get someone like Bastoni, I don't, he's probably not going to come. Um, but someone like some a high caliber player like Gavardiol, he's probably not going to come either. But I'm just throwing names out there. Um, then we might be onto something. But um, yeah, to answer the original question because I've got a massive tangent, um, I would not sign Langley for 14 million if we can get it a little bit cheaper because I don't think it's worth that. Then. Then, yeah, get it done. So what, Ellie, I think Expressions will be absolutely delighted knowing that a Daily Mail journalist is listening to his content. They'd be <laughs> delighted. Um, <laughs> Luke, Luke, let's come to you. Um, Perisic, for me, when we signed him in the summer, I was so excited about signing him, thinking we'd sign a real leader and he was going to change games. What have you made of him? Because I'll, I'll be honest, sitting here in April with eight games to go, he hasn't had the best season, has he? No, definitely not. I, you know, I, I was the same. You know, I was looking at that because um, at the summer, if I remember rightly, him and Fraser Forster were like the first ones through the door, unless I'm completely confused. And, you know, seeing that on free transfers and seeing utilising uh, that market so well, players that Antonio Conte knew because everyone was calling out for this. You know, Antonio Conte needs a full pre-season with this squad. He needs all the players in in time so he can... You know, all these things that pretty much every Spurs fan discussed on, on forums such as this. And to see his demise in a, in a, in a way is, you know, it is a little bit worrying, to be honest. You know, it's he was brought in, as you say, to be a leader, to be a player that we can rely on, that's trustworthy. You know, bear in mind, OK, he was originally a left winger. Then under Antonio Conte, he gets transformed into this left wing back. Uh, Antonio Conte gets praised for it. And, you know, when I watch him as a left wing back, he, the only reason he's playing today is because Ryan Sessegnon and Ben Davis both injured. Otherwise, I don't think he'd play. Um, because watching him defensively, there's a mistake every single game. You know, involving him. I remember he came on as a sub a few weeks ago, and the first thing he did was gave away a foul in the in the defensive third. Watching him go forward is where I start to get excited, and I think, do you know what? He's going to be one of these prolific wing backs where he's going to stride forward. Okay, you know, defensively he might not be the best, but what he will make up for in offensive play uh, means that you know we'll see the best out of him. But again, I don't believe his crossing was as good today. Um, he's still not scored a goal this season. Um, the only thing that was his saving grace was probably his corner taking. 
which got us a few goals, you know, through our genius set piece coach. Um, but then even then, I haven't seen a lot from him in that part. So I think it's been very underwhelming. And I would not be surprised, you know, that when Antonio Conte and his staff goes, he follows on because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not fussed on it. And kind of jumping onto what Oli said about Longley, we need drastically a left-footed centre-back. But Longley isn't the answer. And I think, as he said, £40 million is probably too much money. But it will get done, I believe. I think that that's a classic Spurs Daniel Levy move where we can utilise small amounts of money for a player that also knows this squad quite well. I think when we play with a back four next season, because I think we will, that's the missing piece. Romero concerns me still. I still don't think he is the player that you know he should be. I still worry a lot about him defensively about his aggressive nature. Um, some of the time on the ball, he missed passes. He's, you know, kind of gets a little bit too much flair on, you know, on him when he doesn't need that. He just needs to be that no-nonsense centre-back. But maybe with a with a high, top-quality left-footed centre-back, it might bring the best out of him. But Longley is 100% not the answer. I don't want to see a back two of Longley and Romero. Luke, I know you've probably forgotten about the game at Southampton, but um, Perisic did get his first first goal against Southampton oh. a couple of weeks ago. We, we, we've deleted it from our minds, I know. Um, Rich, let's Thanks come to you in the first minute. Sorry. Oh, I just said thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, um, Rich, let's come to you. In the 38th minute, Solly March um, shot wide of the post. Um, 43rd minute, Pedro Poro headed over the bar. Um, what have you made of Pedro Poro's time at Spurs so far and his performance uh, today? Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, I think it's flashes of flashes of brilliance. Um, obviously, he's he's quick, he's dynamic through that transition, supports the attacks which you'd want from that wing back position. Um, defensively, defensively, sometimes he does get caught out of position. Um, I think again, some of these players that do come in, um, especially from. Italian or Spanish leagues do take a little bit of time to transition. He did those first couple of games looked he looked quite poor. Um, but I think I, I think obviously I think we need to kind of really give him a little bit of time to adapt, develop those relationships and those combinations between him and Kulisewski or whoever it's going to be up that side. Um, he does come inside a little bit and then create that extra man in midfield. I did notice that a little bit today when we were getting short in midfield. Um, at the, at the back, mate. I think there's there's, there's bigger fish to uh, to fry at the back. Really, I think uh, Pedro Porro is one of those that's going to be a stalwart probably for next season. I think the the centre back combination that needs to be massively changed, and also that that left back as well. It's um, yeah, defensively we look all over the place. I think our defence is a laughing a laughing stop. Really, it's it's um, no real confidence there. Uh, Pedro Poro has obviously come into this team uh, and then we've expected the, the the team to be transformed, but we've still got the same kind of peripheral of players that are just no, no, not good enough. And going back to Ollie's point, I think if our aspirations are to win things in this league and to push on to fourth and above, we need to be acquiring players that are of that ilk, not, not like... Players like Longley that's just going to be around the team because they're cheap. Because he is, I don't, I don't believe he's 
he's good enough to be a top six player at all. I just don't, I don't see what he, he gives us, whether he gives us a solid base, whether he's strong in the air, whether he's composed on the ball, whether he makes dis- good decisions, whether he can make a long pass. I don't see any of those. I don't see anything that he adds to the team. And we need, if the players aren't good enough next season, we need to get rid of them. Get rid of all the players that we, we've just been hanging on for because we we had a miracle season last season where we got into the, the, the top four. Luckily, we're not going to this season, I don't feel, we're not going to this season because we've hung on to players like the Sanchezes of this world, the Dyers of this world. If they're not good enough, they need to leave and we need to have high-quality players that we can rely on and they are consistent performers. For half-time, it was 1-1. Uh, there were some boos at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, in the 52nd minute, Perisic forced a good save from Phil. Um, three minutes later, Brighton had another goal disallowed. Uh, McAllister handball. Um, Ollie, was that a clear-cut handball? Um, I don't think it was clear, but I don't think it was clear cut. I've watched it back a few times. Um, some people saying it hit his sleeve, um, but I don't, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a stonewall as the penalty at the end. I think the penalty at the end was that was a slam dunk penalty. I think they should have had that. Um, but as Luke said, the, uh, the the first two decisions, whereas they were kind of like you know fine margins, I don't think there was. I don't think anyone could say that's a handball. Um, but I did just see that the Zerbies come on and said they should have won the game, and yeah, there might there might be some merit to that. Um, I think we did get very very lucky today. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see when they do the Sky Sports um, review of the decisions with the Dermot Gallagher and see what he says. But yeah, I, th- I think they. I, I definitely don't think it was clear cut the first one. What do you think of Stuart Atwell's performance today as a referee? Um. Yeah, not great. It was it was pretty shambolic. Like you can't say that he had uh, control of the game. The fact that you know team managers been sent off. Um, you know you got two two disallowed goals. Um, the penalty at the end. Yeah, he's he's really had a mare there. Um, VAR has just been absolutely shocking this season. I think performance of VAR has been bad enough to scrap the whole thing altogether. Um, I think you know the fact people are, people are forgetting to draw off sidelines and. Yeah, all sorts. Um, I think it's been an absolute shambles. Um, but yeah, he didn't have the best game today. Um, yeah, not much control. And Ollie, Ollie do yeah. you think it, the consistency has been a real problem with the refereeing as well? I, I see. I like even today some of the fouls. Some of the fouls there were a clear yellow card, um, like leaving the footing, like stamping, like some of those decisions. Like referees are just like letting them go. And even in some of the some of the like the the, the top two, top four teams when they're playing each other, they're letting those decisions go for 20 minutes and then all yeah. of a sudden, like, throwing the cards out. I think the, the refereeing consistently has not happened across the board this season. So when you turn up for a game, you don't know who you've got as a referee and are they going to be leaning and want to let the game flow or are they just <laughs> going to be throwing yellow cards out left, right and centre? I think it's really spoiled some of the games. Yeah, I think the problem, I think the problem with it is that um, there's, no, there's no definitive handball. What is a handball? What is an offside? Um, there's no there's no margin for error with the, with the offside, and you can be an armpit offside. You can be, you know, we, we, we need to have this definitive answer. What is a handball? Is it intentional? Is it not? Like what we had with Soko in the Champions League final, those are those handballs allowed? Are they not? 
um, if somebody makes an intentional movement with his hand to the ball, is that is that a handball? If he meant it or not? Um, with the fouls, is a penalty? You know, would you give the same foul in the box that you would give outside of the box? Because I think uh, the referees are kind of treading around eggshells a bit with those kind of decisions where they're kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, affect the game too much by making a big call. I think they kind of, I think everybody's kind of um, just, you know, a bit scared to make a big call at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, Howard Webb is, it seems, seems to be making a few big changes and um, anybody who messes up um, kind of is getting is getting a bit of a pasting. I know um, Mike Dean, we don't know if he's going to referee again um, in VAR. So yeah, it seems like there's going to be changes. And I think I think you can you can definitely bet that at the end of the season there'll be a bit of a review. Um, but yeah, to, honestly, that VAR is just absolute shambles. I would I would just suck it off because um, it, it was supposed to help us. Um, and, and if it's not helping us, if people are still um, if they're still outcrying, then just just knock it on the head. I'm not sure Mike Dean coming back is the answer. Um, Luke, let's come to you. In the 58th minute, um, De Zerbi and Stellini were both issued with red cards. Now, I don't know whether you noticed, but before the game, they were having a heated argument then. It clearly started before the match. Talk us through that incident in the 58th minute. Yeah, it's interesting because at the start of the game, you know, that the, from what I was watching, the camera kind of cut to De Zerbi pointing, lots of finger pointing at Stellini. So I've no idea... I still haven't seen what the reason for that was or why that why that happened. But again, I kind of missed the majority of what happened with the sending off because the part in which I saw Stellini was stood in his technical area and it was both sets of you know uh, coaching staff kind of being held off each other. At one point, the players had to come over and try and separate them as well. So it's going to be really interesting to find out unless anybody knows, exactly the reasons behind it is. Now, what I heard from the broadcast I was listening to was that they were both sent off for something to do with their technical areas, constantly constantly being outside of their technical areas. But if you're going to start sending people off for that, I can imagine there's one manager that gets sent off every single week. Yeah, I think Luke. I think it was not not controlling the technical staff. That's what they. That's what they right, said. That, okay. that because uh, and because both managers didn't control their technical staff, both managers got sent off. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's. Uh, I, I saw a very clear game plan from um, Deserve from the start of this game, and it, it, someone said it in the comments actually as well, and it's kind of put me off him a little bit in terms of that that he had a very clear game plan. His players had a very clear game plan from the start, and it was to try and rough us up as as much as possible, get into the Spurs' heads, because they know how weak they are, as much as possible. You know, you saw it from Lewis Dunk. Every time Harry Kane went down or anybody went down, he was shouting at them, pointing, you know, bending over. But yet when he was going down, there was none of that from our players. So I think it was a very clear plan. And yeah, he's, he's put me off him a little bit from his poor... Um, you know, poor kind of ability to restrain himself in certain areas. But but don't we need to be like that though, Luke? A little bit more aggressive because even when you go back to the Jose Mourinho days, of him of him saying to the whole squad that they need to play or, or be like a bunch of C's. Um, you know, don't don't we need to be more aggressive as a team? We we do, yeah. But then I was expecting that under Antonio Conte, and I was expecting that with. You know, when Christian Romero came in and we brought in Richarlison 
and other players like that who really have that ability to wind people up. And we saw it at times. You know, we saw it when uh, Richarlison you know, was doing keeping ups against Nottingham Forest and winding people up. And I thought, you know, there was a lot of tweets that I put out, you know, saying that I'm not sure what language I can use, so I won't use the full one. But, you know, what kind of housery, you know, team we are and, you know, how we can be that team that completely annoys every other team and winds everybody up. But we never, that kind of died off just like everything else under Conte. It really just died, you know, went nowhere. So maybe we should be, yeah. And maybe I wouldn't be annoyed if it was us, but there was a very clear angle and narrative to their game today. It just comes to you in the 60, well, let, let me just rewind a little bit. Um, straight after that, that is when, uh, the Spurs fans started singing Pochettino's name. And then five minutes later, Harry Kane had a shot, went over the bar. A minute later, Kulisewski shot just past the post. Um, after 69 minutes, across to Veltman, completely unmarked again, he headed wide. Now, we saw exactly what went wrong in the first half by conceding the goal. It happened again. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? It's... Um... Yeah, Spursy, right? Jeez, it's just, just you, you're in the stadium today, you guys, and it's just so frustrating, isn't it? So frustrating that it's like happens every game. It was quiet. It was it was a different mood today, Rich. I must say, it was a really yeah. different mood. Very very quiet. And and I think those moments where if it's not the players like getting involved, then the the staff getting involved with each other. I think you need to have something like you need to have some fire in the belly because <clears throat> you need to pull some of these results out of the fire sometimes. And today we won when we sh- we literally shouldn't have. And in the last couple of weeks we've thrown results away. Like we threw the game away against Southampton. We threw it away against Everton. Today I think it was our, our turn to have a little bit or a lot of luck and um, and just get that result. But the players need to look at themselves and the, the management team need to look at themselves and go, it's just not good enough. It's not... It, it, the, the backing off the play, they're not pressing. The players are coming on the pitch and not giving it all. And when, when I mean that, I don't mean like Lucas Moura just flying into every every kind of challenge and getting sent off. I mean kind of really showing that you want to wear that shirt and wear it with pride and show the fans that you want to have an impact when you come off the bench. And um, and I'm not saying the players didn't today, but I just like, I just saw lazy play. Like there was at one stage when I think Brighton had the ball and we were just like very passive, standing still. Like, and then the crowd is going, what are we actually watch, watching here? And yeah. I, I felt like the fans as well, I felt Brighton were in the ascendancy that we were going to score. So, uh, which is really, really frustrating. Rich, what do you think of Deserving? What do you think of Deserving? Would you take him at Tottenham? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's clear, tactically, with the players he's got, he's worked wonders with some of those players. Like, Sonny March, that's a completely different player under him. Um, I think, he again, he gets the best out of the players. He's got a, a better attacking system. He utilises the ball a lot better. Whether whether he can make that transition into having um, a better, more um, more able group of players, he could elevate himself into into that position of of, of taking us forwards. That's what we need to have. We the, the next appointment, the next players we have, they need to take us to to winning those trophies, to 
to to be consistently not just in the top four but pushing towards challenging for the Premiership. And we're we're miles off that. We're absolutely miles off that. We're I was thinking today watching the game, how boring the the actual play was. How boring we was. How like other other fans used to under Pochettino go. Yeah, Tottenham's our, our second team. Love watching the uh, Spurs play. Always attacking. Um, yeah. uh, Ericsson, player that we've never replaced. What I always go on about is a missing uh, part of the team. That is a, that is for the summer. That is key. That is key. An Ericsson kind of player. Uh, when we had Ericsson, when we had Ali, when when it's Son, Kane, those kind of players in the team, exciting like it. It got the got the fans off the seats. You, the, the fans didn't sit down because it was so exciting, and because because the t- it's just gone backwards. But I'm so boring. I just and disengage. Like fans are getting disengaged with the the, the, the play as well. They don't know what they're going to turn up and watch. And like I say, after after they um, they scored and going into the second half, I was going, is it going to be the Spurs team that scores in the second half turn up? Or are we just gonna? Are we just gonna be a team that now just hopefully gets that opportunity that Sonny's that Sonny's gonna take, or Kane's gonna have that opportunity and we're gonna score and win two one? But those kind of games, the style of football is so boring. It's 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 terrible. Well, as we've already mentioned, after seventy eight minutes, Tottenham made a sub. Kulusevski coming off, Dan Juma coming on. Some rare Premier League minutes for Dan Juma. Just a minute later, um, Harry Kane scored Tottenham's winning goal. Boyer with some great work, pulled it back for Harry Kane. Harry Kane does what Harry Kane does and uh, puts it in the back of the net. Ollie, what did you make of the goal? And I've got to ask you. I know you'll probably be reporting on this uh, through the Daily Mail, and of course, various other media outlets will be reporting on it. Uh, during the summer, do you think he's still going to be a Spurs player at the start of next season? Um, I'll deal with the, the goal first. Um, the, yeah, it's a great goal. Um, kind of well, yeah, very well worked. Um, Hoiberg um, just playing that little slip pass and Kane first time shot doing what H does, um, bailing us out time and time again. But yeah, I, I think it's going to approach the point where he can't continue to bail us out. Um, I would be amazed if uh, Harry Kane was still a Tottenham player this summer. Um, if you were, if you were Harry Kane and you had offers from Man United this summer, which you absolutely will have, um, we know that they're interested in their lo- um, lining up a bid. Um, you would take it, I think. Um, maybe not from Bayern Munich. I think he's very keen to stay in the Premier League, but his option is stay at Spurs or go to United because um, City have got Holland. I think Liverpool is potentially an option, but considering their kind of plight, I don't think you'd want to go there. I think United are on a bit of an upwards uh, trajectory under Ten Hag where they could probably win trophies. Um, but yeah, I, I would be amazed if, if Kane stayed um, because there is no direction at the club. Uh, there's such a feeling of negativity. Um, even, I mean, last season, we, was, we, were, we, were, we were worried that he was going to leave. And we were kind of on an upwards curve under Conte. And, and even then, we were, we were kind of worried and it looked like touch and go whether he would stay. He ended up staying. Um, and, I, and I can't see one reason why he'd stay. The, the, only, the only way I think he stays, uh, it depends on the new manager. Uh, if it's Nagelsmann, and if we get top four, then maybe they have a little chat. Um, but then it's a case of whether he signs a new deal or whether he just has one last dance with us and, 
and leaves on a free. But I can't I can't see Levy, the businessman that he is, allowing someone like Harry Kane to leave on a free transfer. I just I think it would be lunacy personally. I, I would rather let him go now, take the hundred mil, shake his hand and say, Good luck, and you deserve it because he really does. He deserves a big move. And to be honest, I think he would do well at United. Um, I hate saying that, I hate admitting that, but I think he would. Uh, I think he he definitely would be in line for more trophies. It's not a guarantee. He could go to United and then they could not win a trophy and he could be the curse that United don't want. Um, I personally feel that if he signs a new deal, um, then, and, and if we and if we get Augsburg and if there's a real push under Scott Munn, um, who I think is a good move for the club, then then he could do something. I mean, I think we are we're only likely to win a trophy with Kane. If we get rid of it, we go back to square one. Um, so he faces a really, really big decision. But yeah, if United come calling and Levy's willing to sell, then you'd have to say he probably goes. What's your prediction on the Harry Kane situation, Luke? Because when you look at it, top goal scorer at Tottenham Hotspur, top goal scorer all time for England, you know, he hasn't won any trophies whatsoever. If you were Harry Kane's mate, his brother or his dad, what would you be saying to him? And who and, well, and, and what manager uh, do you think that could get him to stay at Spurs? So it, I think it's interesting because I, I know Rich at the start of the show said, you know, being a top athlete and being in that 1% and striving for those goals and those golds and, you know, in whichever angle of sport that you're in is the epitome of that. And you want to always get to that. I'm really interested to know, and Richard can answer this at some point, but is is he, you know, becoming the all-time Premier League goal scorer, potentially, the all-time Spurs goal scorer, the all-time England goal scorer, as good as that, or are team accolades as important? Because I still believe that Harry Kane could look back on his career not winning a team trophy but seeing his name in the history books for however long that might sit, I don't know if anyone could ever, if he does get higher than uh, more than Alan Shearer, if anybody could ever get that, you know, due to how quickly uh, players move in, in, in football. But so I'd be interested in that. But do I think he stays? I think the only way that United, he only ever goes to United, I think, in terms of the teams that could go for him. I don't think he would go abroad. And I believe the only way he would go to United would be if, you know, someone like the Qataris purchase Manchester United, they would want to make a marquee signing um, under their new ownership. And I believe that Harry Kane would be that marquee signing. Um, and to kind of answer the last question, I, I don't think Daniel Levy lets him go on a free and I don't think Harry Kane goes on a free either. Um the only kind of manager that could probably keep him maybe Nagelsmann, maybe a Mauricio Pochettino, potentially just due to their relationship. I don't think Harry Kane would go on a free either. Um, I don't think he would want to, you know, cut his legacy like that. But that I, I haven't really answered the question too much. But I, I, I see him staying. I do see him staying. Yeah, let's answer that. Yeah, Rich, do you want to come in on that point? Because it's, it's a weird yeah. one. I think I think if I was Harry Kane, I would probably think that my time's probably up because I want to win a team trophy. Um, personally, I'm hoping that he's going to stay, but is it is he going to have enough, Rich, of not winning any team trophies this amount of time at the club? 
That's a great question, Luke. Um, I think it, it depends on how, what what drives him for the future, and does he think that he's got the backing of the club, and the the club are, are going to sell him this this kind of this project that's going to incorporate him, that's going to incorporate some of the kind of attacking flair players that are going to a- enable him to break Alan Shearer's record at Spurs, but also get him very close, if not winning the Premier League or, or trophy at Spurs. And if not, obviously, is his, is his heart really with Spurs? Does he see that he wants to kind of go somewhere else and, and challenge himself professionally? Because I, I think sometimes as an athlete, as a professional athlete, emotionally you get really attached to um, the club and the project and um, I'm, I'm just not sure I'm just not I don't know enough about what kind of really does drive Harry at the moment obviously there was a point of him going <laughs> there was a point of him going to to Man City uh, and like the other boys I I think United's probably is the only destination Um Sorry, but, Richard. Uh, would you be happy if you? Sorry, would if you? Uh, yeah. Like, let's say hypothetically, right? You only ever won. I know this sounds strange coming from me, right? But if you only ever won a gold medal, but in a team event, and you struggled to ever win in an individual event, or would you yeah. rather won an individual event and not won in that team event? I can I can answer that because I went to the Paralympics in a winter sport, ice hockey, and then I. We, we, we went to the Games in 2006 and bums, and then I, I have obviously had all my success on the track over the 200 metres. Um, so, yeah, I, I you know what? I was really frustrated within the team that I played because they weren't as committed. They didn't have the, the so-called talent that I had. They didn't have the desire to win things. And then individually, obviously, I've been very successful, even though I had a, a great team around me that have supported me. Um, Harry Kane, it is different because I, um, if I was in Harry Kane's uh, uh, shoes, um, I think I would, I, when you've been in a team for so long, you really institutionalise with the lack of winning trophies. And I think that's his problem. He's really institutionalised now. And even down to some of the England results, I think he's like obviously missing that penalty against France. I just think it, it, he's being like tarnished with that kind of like not winning things. Where going to another team, and I definitely don't want him to go. I think he should stay. I think his heart's with Spurs. But I think it's 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 one of those where he could be really influenced with the team around him. Around, come on, Harry. I think. Staying in the Premier League, you still can break Alan Shearer's record, but how about going to a team where you could actually win the Premier League and really create that legacy as being the best player that's ever played in the Premier League's history? I think that's what that's what he's looking for. He's wanting to come out of, of his career going, actually, I've done the best I've, I can. At, the, at Spurs at the moment, he could his career could kind of just peter off and, he, and, and actually not get anywhere near Alan Shearer's record because... We, we, we struggle. There is nothing I want to see more than uh, Harry Kane lifting a trophy with Tottenham down the high road. Yeah, It'd be amazing. Sure. Sure. It'd be um, awesome. Ollie, let's come to you. A couple of final subjects before we go. Um, on Friday, the club announced, uh, we're delighted to announce the appointment of Scott Munn as Chief Football Officer. Scott will be joining the club's board and will take charge of all footballing departments. 
What do you make of this appointment, particularly um, when we already have Chairman Daniel Levy? We've got Fabio Prasci, who, of course, is not working at the club at, at the moment. Uh, we've also got Greta Steenston. Um, now Scott Munn has come into the equation. Who, in your opinion, is in charge of transfers and who is in charge of the manager search? Um, as I understand it, it's um, Scott Munn and Daniel Levy in charge of transfers. I think Scott Munn's going to be Daniel Levy's number two. Um, so he's literally his lieutenant. And I think those two are going to be working on transfers alongside the board and Paratici if he comes back. Uh, but if Paratici does come back, and I don't think he will, I don't think he does come back, um, he would be reporting to Scott Munn. Um, but I think it's a real change attack. I think it's a, a strategic change. I know the club have been working on assessing how that they how they go about their football operations for the last six months, and this is a real kind of um, sea change in how they do things. Um, I, th- I think it's a kind of similar way to the way um, United and Liverpool do things, and the way they uh, the way that they look at their transfers and look for players. Um, so it's potentially an exciting one. Will it work, or will it be the same? disastrous um, director of football we've had in the past. Hopefully not. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at Scott's background, he's worked in a real multitude of sports. You know, he's done uh, the Olympics. He's done rugby league, AFL in, um, in Australia. He's worked with the City Group, um, the Man City Group um, across the world. So he's had a real, like, uh, variety of experience. And he seems like a guy who's a businessman and a sportsman and a football man. Um, so yeah, it sounds like quite a positive step, but you know, you can't really trust um, Enoch or Levy to get things right. So we have to sort of be have, have to have a jury's out attitude with this one. But uh, it seems like they're kind of going away from the traditional you know, European director of football who just brings in players from his country and, and just sort of throws a load of cash at the wall and see what happens. Um, so hopefully it'll be a kind of a, a group process where they, they we all get together in a transfer panel and look at players from a more analytical approach. And um, yeah, let's hope that begins this summer because this team needs real work. Luke, let's come to you on the same subject. What do you make of this, this appointment of Scott Munn? And I feel like I've said this ever since Pochettino left, really, in the club decisions that have been made since 2019. Sacking Pochettino for one, sacking Jose Mourinho six days before a cup final. Uh, this whole thing now of uh, Antonio Conte and, of course, before that, waiting 72 days for a manager. We appoint Nuno Espirito Santo. There seems to be a lot of decisions that were clearly wrong. Spurs need to get it right. And I feel like I've said this before. Spurs need to get it right this time. Um, what's going to be different this time? Well, who knows what's going to be different, right? This could all be you know, a very clever approach from Levy to, you know, distance himself from the negativity in which is surrounding him at the moment. Because I'll, I'll take my point of view. So I'm not Enoch out, Levy out, but I'm also not Enoch in either. You know, what I dislike at the moment is Levy's constant, um, you know, stepping in and, and trying to get, too involved in a subject in which I don't believe he's very good at, and that's making footballing decisions. I'm more than happy with how the club is run financially. I'm more than happy with some of the financial th- you know, um, deals that are being struck, and I believe that that is you know, uh, where, his, um, best, where he is best placed for the football club. And you know, if 
if he is to step aside from footballing activities, whether that happens or not, that would be my ideal. I would be more than happy with Spurs if they brought in somebody to replace him in terms of footballing duties and he just remained, you know, as a business sense. Um, whether that will happen, I don't know. And it could all be smoke and mirrors and just a way to kind of, um, you know, get a little bit of uh, of attention away from him. But if that happens again, then a lot more people will turn. Now, last question for you, of course, we're, we're next in Premier League action next Saturday here at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against against Bournemouth. Now, they won against Leicester today, 1-0. Uh, their results, their last six results, they lost 3-2 against Arsenal, won against Liverpool, 1-0, lost against Aston Villa, 3-0, uh, one against Fulham, 2-1. Lost against Brighton, 2-0. And one today against Leicester. So their results, the last six, lost one, lost one, lost one. Um, Rich, let's start with you. Score prediction for next week's Bournemouth game. I think um, it's going to be another physical game, I think. Um, they're going to try and um, put a lot of players behind the ball. Um and expect us to break them down and then expect that themselves to score off a, a free kick or a set play um, or a breakaway um, and then try to utilise our frailties at the back. I think we'll win. Um, I think it might be 3-1. Um, I think we'll score a couple of goals. I think we'll... Um, some of the frailties of the past because of... Uh, Bournemouth not being a fantastic team, especially away from home. You look, their, their away record's very poor. Um, so, yeah, 3-1. Um, and then on to the next game, really. Obviously, you take one game at a time, but we'll have more challenging uh, games in the in the running, for sure. Yeah. In the Bournemouth games, what, uh, one of those games where we need to build confidence into the last, like, seven or eight games. Today, we definitely didn't because we got away with one. Next weekend, yep. we need to win well. So, 3-1. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. Um, Ollie, what are you going for? Um, I'm also inclined to go for 2-1, either that or 1-0. I think it will be a nervy one split to today. Uh, I think Bournemouth are a team who we all kind of thought would be stuck in the relegation zone most of the season. They've actually surprised us a lot. Um, you know, They beat Liverpool 1-0. They ran Arsenal, their leaders, pretty close, 3-2. Um, so they can kind of hold their own and I think they'll come to Spurs feeling quite upbeat and you know hopeful of a little upset they know they can get under our skin they know that they can create chances I think any team that comes to Spurs knows we'll get at them um, so we need to be really careful about that and they're kind of fighting for their life they are fighting for their life um, so it'll be a real a real test um, but yeah it, as uh, as Rich says it's a must win and we, we must win well uh, we, we need to send a message to Liverpool, to Liverpool, to Newcastle, to um, United. I don't think yeah. we will. I think it's going to be a tough one. Uh, but yeah, 2-1. Luke, what are you going for? I'll keep it short and sweet. I think we'll I think we'll play well. I think we'll keep you know this positive momentum of this win because it was a very big win today. Um, and I think we'll win 2-0. Well, Luke, thanks so much for joining us uh, this evening uh, on the podcast for the very first time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Please tell everyone where they can find you on social media and tell us all about your podcast. Yeah, thank you very much once again for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Um, you can find us at Park Lane Podcast on uh, Twitter, TikTok and, and YouTube. 
Um, we do a show every Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Uh, at Park Lane Podcast on YouTube. So we're just a small channel, but if you're interested and you want to talk about Spurs, we try and have a laugh, joke, um, you know, and discuss everything that happens. So we'd really appreciate it if people came. If you don't, it's also not a bother either. So I really do appreciate it. Thanks again, Chris. Well, there's a lot of time during this season. We all need a laugh and a joke. So head over to Luke's podcast. Um, Rich, it's been a pleasure having you back. Tell everyone where they can find you and uh, about your event again. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, like people know as far. I mean, I have a marathon champ on Twitter or obviously Instagram, all over that. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so I've got an event on um, in June, June the 18th um, in Nottingham. So if you're around Nottingham or East Midlands, or want to travel, please come down. Fully inclusive event. If you don't run, it's not a running event. It's just a fully inclusive event. We just try to have a lot of fun. Sport is about getting people together and really embracing what sport's really about, about smiling and enjoying the, the whole event and atmosphere. So, yeah, cheers for your support. As always, Chris, it's been great to be on with Luke and Ollie. Everybody that's obviously listening today, do like and subscribe as well. So it's really important to support Chris and all his great content because it's, uh, it's all part of the journey. Thank you, Richard. And Ollie, pleasure having you back. Tell everyone where they can find you and uh, what to expect in the next couple of weeks from you and the Daily Mail. Oh, you can expect lots of drama as the Tottenham season unfolds um, and I'll probably be forced to write about it, which is, yeah, any time there's a Spurs feature, they just shove it on my desk and I'm like, oh God, I've got to relive it all over again. Um, yeah, you, you can find, find me at Ollie Gamp um, at Twitter, which I'm always posting my moans. Uh, and I'm also going to shameless plug. I'm currently writing a book, um, which is actually about my dad's podcast. So my dad runs a podcast called The Company Doctor. Uh, it's, it's good for anybody. It's about, um, you know, interviews, networking, how to get pay rise, stuff like that. Um, just give that a listen. That's on Spotify, The Company Doctor. And I'm going to be writing a book based on the podcast. Uh, keep your eyes open on that. Well, the very best of luck with that. Um, Rich, Ollie, Luke, thanks so much for joining me this evening uh, to talk about Tottenham's 2-1 victory today at the Tottenham Hospital Stadium against Brighton. Let's hope that next week when we're back on the podcast, we're talking about another win against Bournemouth. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until the next one, come on, you Spurs. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. 